The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Father, as we open the Word, as we look at it, as we seek to understand it, we pray that you would teach us and you would give us hearts of worship. In the name of Christ, amen. It's a Christmas Eve tradition at TBC that uh, if you've not been here on a Christmas Eve evening, uh, we bring all the kiddos on stage both hours and Bev and I read them a Christmas story, and prior to reading that story, I like to ask them a couple of questions, and uh, one of the questions I ask, oh, it's five or six years ago now, I ask a question, what is, who, who is Christmas about? Who is Christmas about? And a dapper-looking three- or four-year-old boy screamed out, it's about me and getting presents. <laughs> yeah, you love that honesty, don't you? I mean, you just love that, honestly. It's about me, and it's about getting presents. And uh, it reminds me of a cartoon strip called Marvin that somebody sent me a couple of years ago. In the first frame, a mother's reading a Christmas story to her four- or five-year-old son. He's able to understand it, old enough finally to understand the Christmas story. And she's reading it to him, and he, after hearing the story, he has a puzzled look on his face. And he turned to his mom and said, let me get this straight. Christmas is Jesus' birthday, but I get the presents. In the final frame, he says, this is a great religion, isn't it? (laughs) Christmas is about me. I love that uh, five-year-old statement. It's about me, Pastor Gary, and getting presents. It's easy to make not just Christmas, but every day about ourselves. Uh, The focus for most of us is still too often my wants, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, rather than God being the focus of our lives. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about worship. What is worship? I mean, when you think about worship, what is it? For many of us, it's what takes place at 9, 30, 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings at TBC or if you're visiting the church that you go to, uh, but it's much, much more than that. Is worship just singing celebratory songs and saying we really worship today when you leave a service? Is it contemplative reflection? Is it liturgical uh, ritual? I, I mean, for different folks, it's like, this is worship. We have worshiped. Is it living the way we want during the week with little or no thought of God and then joining together with others in songs and listening to somebody preach a message? Is that what worship is? One author writes this, worship is not just a specific act, it's a lifestyle. Worship is a specific act of bowing my knees and declaring holy, 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 but it's also a lifestyle of bowing my life and living holy, holy, holy. It's not just an act, it's a lifestyle. See, we should worship when we cook, we should worship when we eat, we should worship when we see art, we should worship when we see a sunset, when we see a sunrise. Worship is what takes place when we declare worth unto God. We look at anything part of his creation, anything part of our hearts and recognize he is worthy of our praise. It's interesting, in Revelation 4.11 it says, you created everything and it's for your pleasure they exist and were created. Everything was created for God's pleasure. You know, if you think about worship for a second, when it comes to eternity, we're not going to be involved in evangelism. I mean, in eternity, we're not going to be involved in evangelism. We're not going to be involved in discipleship. We're not going to be involved in shepherding and mentoring. I mean, we're going to be in the presence of the living God. But we will be involved in worship. We're not evangelized. We're all, all the, the ones there and know Christ. But the one thing where we, we will be involved in for all of eternity is worship. So I think it's good that we understand what it is here, since we're going to be doing it there forever. Amen? I mean, that, that's what we are to be about here and forever. Worship. 
A number of years ago, we did a series called Shipwrecked. It was a doctrinal series, and we talked about the concept of worship, and we said a number of things about worship. Worship is wonder and amazement. It's not a church service. It's offering not just ourselves, but not, not just our sacrifices, but ourselves. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. When we look at worship, we recognize it's what we're involved in every day. The problem is we are so consumed with ourselves instead of him at times, we're not exactly sure how worship takes place. And it may be relegated to that which happens on Sundays. One of the interesting things that occurs in the Christmas story over and over is that people worship. I don't know if you've noticed that. I've gone back and looked and reread this dozens of times over the last year. And one of the things that happens over and over is that worship breaks out when folks see the Christ child. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The angels worship, the shepherds worship, the old folks, Simeon, Anna worship, and a fitting response when you come face to face with Jesus is to worship. It's a fitting response when you see the Savior and you come in touch with the Savior, when you recognize who the Savior is, it's a response of worship that's called for. First, we see that the angels worshiped. The angels worshiped. In Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. And what were they doing? Look at what it says they were doing. Read it with me. They were praising God. So there we go. They were part of worship. Worship is what they did. When they heard of what God was doing, and they said, glory to God in the highest. That's worship. They're giving glory to God. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so what we find is that they were praising God. To to praise someone is to express admiration, to express approval. We praise our kids, we praise our spouses, we we, we praise movie stars, and we should be quick to give our praise to God. We read this over and over and over in the scriptures. I mean, we read, for instance, in the Psalms, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous ones. It's fitting for the upright to praise him. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will occasionally be on my lips. Praise will always be on my lips. The scriptures go on in the Psalms. It's good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I greeted a number of you when you're walking in. Some of you, I'm not too sure, have breath after the holidays. But if you do, he says you praise God. Every single day, every single moment is an opportunity to offer praise to God. When the angels heard the announcement, they began to praise God. They began to offer him thanksgiving and honor him, and they cry out, glory to God in the highest. I mean, it's a response that they had to do. And then they prayed for peace on earth. I mean, if there's anything that our world could use right now, it's a little peace. Would you agree with that? I mean, when I look at the world conditions and read the news and see what's happening and, and talk to folks who are in the know in this, it's like, man, there is chaos everywhere. There's terror everywhere. And there's an opportunity for us to pray just as the angels did. When you look at verse 14, it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to all men. Peace on earth. Seems like something that'll never happen, isn't it? I mean, we look at our world and some of you are thinking, Gary, peace on earth? I mean, I'd like a little peace in my family. Anybody relate to that? Just had the holidays and some of you say, man, I'm glad they're past. We've got another year before we have to hang out together. 
peace on earth. I thought about that when I saw this video. Let's uh, play that video. So you're saying, I just want peace in my family. Maybe you can relate to uh, this quick video about what it's like to have peace in the family at Christmas time. What is it about the family Christmas photo that brings out the worst in people? We talk about peace on earth, goodwill to men, and we don our gay apparel and best smiles. Yet, what goes on behind the scenes of the family photo often contradicts the final image we're trying to convey. But perhaps this conflict of what we are and what we wish to be is what the Christmas season is all about. The truth that we need someone to save us from ourselves, from our impatience, our frustration, our selfish clash of wills. And perhaps, even in our best moments, what the camera captures isn't the image of a perfect family as we are, but the possibility of what we can be through the hope that Christ brings. Anybody relate to that? Can you, can you relate to, man, we'd like a little peace within our family, much less on earth right now. And the angels cried out, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. Made that happen. But it was a moment of worship for them. It was a moment as they worshiped the Father. And they prayed for peace to take place. The angels praised God. They prayed for peace. Let me personalize it even further. Are you at peace? Do you have peace in your life? You know, statistics tell us as we read about it and so sociologically and psychologically that the Christmas season is one of the most difficult times on a lot of people because of lack of peace, because of loneliness for other things. And do you have peace? We pray for peace on earth. What about personally? Do you have peace? One author I was reading wrote these words. He said, we pray for peace on earth, but we seldom have peace in our own lives. Another author says this, you stare into the darkness. Your husband slumbers next to you. The ceiling fan whirls above you. In 15 minutes, the alarm will sound. The demands of the day will shoot you like a clown out of a cannon into a three-ring circus of meetings and bosses and baseball and soccer schedules. For the millionth time, you'll make breakfast, you'll make schedules, and you'll try and meet payroll. But for the life of you, you can't make sense out of this thing called life. Cradles and cancer, cemeteries and questions, they keep you awake at night. And as your one next to you sleeps, the world waits and you stare. You know, when the angels gave praise to God and prayed for peace, it's not just world peace, it's personal peace. The scriptures tell us Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. And so there's hope for you to have peace in Christ today. Well, the angels worshiped, and we see that. We move on. If you look at the Christmas story, you see not only did they worship, this is what St. Augustine said about peace, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And the angels worshiped, but also the shepherds worshiped. The shepherds, the shepherds returned glorifying God and what? Praising him for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So when you look at the angels coming, they worship. When you look at the shepherds coming, they worship. They were glorifying God. It's interesting to me, when you look at that verse, that they glorified God for all the things they heard and what they had seen. Now, what they saw, we know. They saw these shepherds, and I'm sorry, they saw these angels, and the result is their life was changed. If you're with us last week, we looked at a video from the shepherd's perspective. But when they saw these things, 
They glorified and praised God. What are the things they heard? Well, if you go back in Luke, if you look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 10, this is what they heard. Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. So what they heard was an announcement. The announcement was good news. The word good news there is the word gospel. What they heard was the gospel has come. I bring you the gospel. I bring you good news of great joy. And it's not going to be for some people, but for all people. For today in the city of David had been born to you, what? A savior. And so what they saw were the angels. What they heard was the hope of salvation for all people. And the result of hearing that was that they glorified and praised God. So you have the angels praising God. They're singing glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill among men. And when you do that, you recognize the great joy that's there. And then the shepherds, they worship God. They worship for what they had heard, for all the people. Then if you look at 2.18, it's pretty interesting. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. So if you look at 2.18, it says, all who heard it, they wondered the things which were told to them by the shepherds. Who heard this? Who were the shepherds telling? I mean, we read verses in the, in the, in the Christmas story, and maybe we don't look closely at them, but... It says, all who heard these things that were told to them by the shepherds. Who were the all? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, who, who did the shepherds go and speak to? It, it says they, they went and everybody that heard it wondered what he's talking about. So who the shepherds tell? Was it the folks in the streets in Bethlehem that day when they were headed back to the fields? Was it folks who maybe came and saw the birth of the baby? We, we don't know that. There's nothing recorded about that. Or what, what, was he talking about over the years? When Luke wrote this gospel years later, was he saying, you're not going to believe what the shepherds did over the next years? I mean, they told everybody that what they had experienced at the birth of the Messiah. But don't miss the obvious here. They shared what they had experienced. They shared what they were excited about. That they shared what they had seen. And whoever that audience was, and we're not sure who it is, if you look at verse 18, all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. We're not sure who those are, but we know this one thing, they were excited. Either the people gathering at the manger or the shepherds when they got to the fields or anyone that would listen to the streets of Jerusalem. Yeah, we had a house full of grandkids the last few days, still do actually, and as they were there and they started opening presents, it was pretty interesting. They, they would open presents and they just had this blank stare and no excitement. And they'd open a present, not very excited. And they would say, hmm, I wonder if I've got another one. That was nice, Papa Doe. Thanks for that present. Do you believe that? Man, they are ripping into stuff and they're screaming and hollering. And I, I took a video. I mean, it was like a three-ring circus opening gifts in that place. I mean, I love the chatter. I love the hum. I love hearing all the noise. And when I get tired of it, I take my hearing aids out and let the rest of the adults deal with it. <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's excitement. There's a buzz. L little kids opening gifts. I mean, there, there's just an excitement everywhere. They're, they're screaming everywhere. They're, there's excitement. They, they, they rip those things apart. They don't say, you take your turn. You take your turn. I mean, they're just, they're, they're ripping it open, wide open and screaming and hollering. I mean, these shepherds were excited about what happened. You could not keep that from anyone. 
excitement and smiles and, hey, let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you what I experienced. Let me tell you what what these angels that appeared to me. Shouldn't we be just as excited about the Christmas story and the salvation Christ has given us? Shouldn't we be just as excited to share those things with anyone that we talk to? You know, I, I, you think about men and they're watching a football game and I don't know if you're like I am, but if your favorite team is playing, you just don't sit there passively and think, hmm, that was a nice play. I, I've watched some of you guys. I mean, you become idiots in front of a television. I mean, you scream and you holler and you dance and you throw things and you, you start pushing stuff, posting stuff on Facebook. And I mean, you've got this zeal and this passion. I mean, there's an excitement. I watch guys and their favorite teams playing. I mean, they go crazy. When it comes to worship, maybe jointly in a body, you can't even get them to mumble a few words in front of their kids. So what's your kids going to remember? The excitement of dad worshiping? The excitement of dad screaming at a television? And ladies, I mean the excitement you have, and I, I don't know what it is. It may be a recipe that comes out right. It may be going to the mall and finding a sale that you didn't know was there. It, it may be your favorite television program or, or some song on the radio, and it, you're driving down the highway, you get excited about it, and your kids see mom all excited about that. They see mom excited about worshiping. The excitement that comes from that. And so that's what we see there. We see the joy and the excitement of these guys. The point is the shepherds worshiped and they told others about the Messiah. You excited about the Savior? Excited about what he's done in your life? Excited about the salvation he's brought you? Or has he just become a theological issue in your life? Has he just become someone to study and dissect and to exegete? Or you have a passionate pursuit of Christ that you can't wait to tell others about him? So the, sh- the angels worshipped, then the shepherds worshipped. And then if you'll jump ahead to Simeon, Simeon worshipped. We know who Simeon is. Simeon's a, the, the old guy. We read about him in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, verse 28, it says, Then he, that is Simeon, took him into his arms, and he blessed God. And then he gave thanks unto God. And if you look at verse 34, and Simeon blessed them. And over and over, what we see Simeon doing is he's worshipping I mean, in 2.28, he took the baby in his arms and he praised God. And then we see in Luke 2.29, he prays this prayer, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You let me die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So Simeon says, I worship you, I praise you. The promise that you said was going to happen has been fulfilled. I've seen the Savior. And now salvation can come to all people. He's quoting Luke chapter 42 where it says, I, the Lord, have called you to righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I'll keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. And so what Simeon is saying, he's praising God and saying, the salvation of all mankind is now possible because the Messiah has come. And so Simeon blesses God and worships God. I've got a dear friend when we were in Baton Rouge in between college and seminary. I went to work for a guy named Merle Wilging, and Merle is now 93 years old. And uh, we called him before the holidays. And uh, amazing man. I mean, he, he's just an amazing man. But the one thing about Merle Wilging is he loves to tell people about the salvation that's found in Christ. And so we're on the phone, and we're back and forth, and at 93, he's still sharp as a tack. And 
He said, Gary, yesterday he had the privilege, he, he owned several businesses in Baton Rouge, and he said, I had the privilege with one of my partners uh, from previous business, he's now retired, and he, he said, uh, we got together and we had a meal, and uh, over that meal, I was able to share with him the good news of the gospel. After all these years of being together and, and speaking about it, he came to know Christ as Savior. 93 years old, leading someone to faith in Christ. Pretty amazing, isn't it? He's still excited about Christ after 93 years on this planet. Telling people about Jesus, the salvation of all mankind. What about you? When's the last time you shared the gospel with a single person? Last time you said, hey, let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you about my friend Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who's changed my life forever. So the angels worshipped, the shepherds worshipped, Simeon worshipped. After Simeon worshipped, we see that Anna, who was with him, worshipped as well. Here's a portrait of these octogenarians who are in the temple. And it says about Anna, she came up to them at the very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to whom was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna sees the Christ child. What does she do? She gives thanks to God. The immediate response of all these people is worship. The immediate response is worship. Look at who Jesus is, and we must worship him. And she worships because she was looking to the redemption of Jerusalem. I love the word redemption there. It means to pay the price for something. It means to pay the price. I used to use the illustration of S&H green stamps and uh, what it meant to do that, but then I realized if you're not over 50, you don't have a clue as to what I'm talking about. And so I quit using that illustration. So I started using the illustration of uh, refundable bottles. And then I realized if you're not 40 and older, you don't know what I'm talking about. And so I'm out of illustrations when it comes to redemption. So let me give you the biblical illustration, which is the best in my mind. It's the story of Hosea. Remember the story of the Old Testament prophet? God tells him to go and marry a woman. The woman becomes a prostitute. She leaves him, her feet take her away from home. They have three kids. The three kids are named Jezreel. Then lo ru'ama, lo ami, lo ru'ama, not to be loved, not to be, not, or not my people, lo ami, not to be loved. And God is saying, you've broken the covenant. You no longer love me. You don't want to be my people anymore. And there's an interplay in, in Hosea chapter two. And the interplay is between Hosea, whose family is an object lesson of what's happening in the nation of Israel. And just as his wife was unfaithful, the nation of Israel was unfaithful. And Hosea loves his wife, and he seeks to woo her back, just as God seeks to woo us back in Christ. And he goes, and he buys gifts for her, and he leaves the gifts, but instead of attributing the gifts to him, she attributes them to her lovers. Their children are probably children born of prostitution, not born of a relationship with their husband. And after many years of sleepless nights, or many weeks or months, we don't know how long, of sleepless nights, Hosea has been gone for a season. And in chapter 3, God tells Hosea to go and get his wife. After that time of separation, after her being a prostitute for a season. Scriptures say she became one of Baal's followers, a pagan god. And God says, go and get your wife back. And we're not sure exactly how the story unfolds, except we know that he buys her back in an, as a slave. 
And we're not sure if it's an auction or if he went to a high priest. The scriptures don't tell us. But we know that he goes and he redeems his wife. He pays a price for her and brings her home. That's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He's paid the price for our salvation to bring us back. How could we not worship him? How could we not worship him? And Anna says, the redemption of Jerusalem has come. Therefore, we will worship. The shepherds worshipped. The angels worshipped. Simeon worshipped. Anna worshipped. And then finally, what we see is the, the worship of the Magi. The Magi worshipped. They come to the Christ child, and it says this in Matthew 2.11. They came to the house. They saw the child with their mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. They worshipped. See, the only fitting response when you see the Savior is to worship him. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter how you see life. But he is the one to be worshipped. It's interesting. This is the question they asked Herod before they found the Christ child. Why did the Magi, why were they seeking him? Where's the one who's been born of the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to do what? To worship him. The reason the Magi were looking for Christ was to find one to come and worship. Worship. It's the only fitting response to the incarnation of Christ. Worship isn't something we do once a week. It's something we do every single day. Whenever we see the Savior, the only fitting response should be to worship him. Worship team, would you guys join me up here? This is Johnny Erickson Tata. Maybe you know the story. I've shared it a couple of times before. This was the day of her wedding. On the day of her wedding, she talks about that great event and how she longed to be a bride and looked forward to being a bride and how she couldn't wait to marry Ken, her beloved husband, Ken Tata. And so on that particular day, Johnny, who had been paralyzed since she was a teenager, finally found the love of her life. She said, my gown was draped over a thin wire mesh covering the wheels of my wheelchair. I had flowers in my lap, a sparkle in my eye. I felt like a float in the Rose Bowl parade. They had built a specially constructed ramp so she could go up the ramp, and she was quadriplegic, so she had very little, obviously no use, or paraplegic, no use of anything except her hands. And she writes these words. She says, as I looked down at my dress, I saw this big black grease mark, courtesy of my wheelchair. The chair was spiffed up, but it was still the big clunky thing that I always sat in. I had a bouquet of flowers on my lap, but... They had slid off center, and my hands are paralyzed, so I couldn't reach down and rearrange them. So here I am, everything that I wanted, but certainly not a picture out of Bride magazine. Grease mark on my dress, flowers askew. She said, I inched my chair forward so that I could finally see Ken standing on the stage. And this is what she writes. I spotted him way down front, standing at attention, looking tall and elegant in his tuxedo. My face grew hot, my heart began to pound, then our eyes met. And amazingly, everything changed. How I looked no longer mattered. 
I forgot all about my wheelchair. I forgot about the grease stains. I forgot about the flowers out of place. Who cared about those things? No longer did I feel ugly or unworthy. The love in Ken's eyes washed it all away. I was his pure and perfect bride. That's all he saw, and that's what changed me that moment. It took great restraint for me not to jam my power stick into high gear and race down the aisle and up the ramp to be with my groom. She says, when I saw him, I forgot all about myself. We see the Savior. We, too, forget about ourselves. And one day, we shall see the Savior, and it will be about him, not about us as we worship him in glory. The angels saw the Christ child. The shepherds saw the Christ child. Simeon and Anna saw the Christ child. The magi did. And the only thing they could do was to worship. When you see the Savior in all his glory, when you understand and see his majesty, as we will one day, the only proper response is a response of worship.